I'm Kevin Nikolai, and this is The Perplex Pat. Every week, we bring you a new expat and look into their unique, wonderful passion. This week, episode one, I present Raphael Marcinet, the saxophonist. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Raphael Marcinet is because he's a saxophonist from Australia. And I first saw Raphael Marcinet play saxophone at the Dejan Jungu Cultural Center, where he performed a piano and sax concert aptly named uh, Musique Francois pour Sax et Piano. And I've also seen uh, you play at the Dejan Art Center. Uh, was that with the Dejan Philharmonic Orchestra, or is that just where they play? No, that's just where they play. <laughs> okay. I, I wish one day, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, as well, I've seen you in a few other concerts here. And what I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on cause, is because uh, what you do is very interesting. It was new to me. I'd never heard of this. And you play the classical saxophone. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, I remember the first time I met you, actually. You mentioned early on that you really liked the saxophone. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, oh, that's cool. But then I thought, oh, but I like, I'm classical saxophone. So I think I disappointed you <laughs> maybe a little bit at first. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I played the classical saxophone. Um, oh, really, it just I just went in that direction because I, I kind of got into classical music first when I was about 10. I got very heavily into classical music. And then saxophone came a little bit later, and I don't know, I was it was a bit silly of me in a way to choose an instrument. I guess I wasn't very thoughtful about it. I chose the saxophone sort of separately to my classical music mm. love. You right. Know? And I think I just chose the saxophone because it looked cool. You know? Right. I thought it looked cool. Right. You know? It was shiny and beautiful shape and all that. And uh, I didn't. And it took me actually a long time to put the saxophone and the classical music together in okay. my life. So, so you, did, you didn't start out, I want to learn classical sax. You're like, no. just whatever, whatever I can learn on this thing. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. It was, it was a school band program. And that's how most people get started with a school band thing, yeah, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing band type of music? That's right. Okay. And... Yeah, and, and so that was all sorts of things, you know, popular stuff and jazzy stuff and a bit of classical stuff as well. But um, at home was where I was sort of just fully immersed in my classical thing. Right. And then I, I my, my school teacher, I got to a level of my saxophone playing where my high school teacher, this is a high school in Australia, so it's sort of middle, middle school and high school together. Mm-hmm. Um, so middle school age. Um, he suggested I got a teacher, like a private saxophone teacher. Right. And the guy he suggested happened to be a classical guy. Okay. And it was that teacher, his name was Greg Derry, who um, sort of detected that I was very much into classical music. And he sort of said to me, you know, you can do the classical music on the saxophone. Right. And I was like, Oh, yeah, sort of thing. So <laughs> right. that was sort of a bit of a revelation. And so it's not just weird to me as like someone who didn't yeah. know that the classical sax existed. Yeah. Like I'd only had jazz associations. That's yeah. like even even to you who got started in this, you weren't really aware of the sax in classical music. Yeah. I mean, 
in my in my sort of self teaching myself classical music, I had come across the saxophone very occasional mm -hmm. because there's some pieces of orchestral music that are famous right. that happen to have a saxophone in them, mm -hmm. but they're rare and and you know nothing from before like 1840 has saxophone in it because that's right. when it was invented. So none of the Mozart, none of the Beethoven, the Brahms, or, or Brahms was after them, but he didn't use it. Anyway, none of the early music, no Bach or anything like that, all that is completely away from the saxophone's history. Mm. So the only things that could have saxophone in them are things written after about 1845. The invention yeah. of the saxophone. Yeah, right. that's right. And the few French composers who adopted it early. Um, so I was, sort of, I was sort of vaguely aware, but I was also aware that there wasn't sort of enough of it and that perhaps the guys doing the orchestral recordings that I'd heard the sort of jazz guys who were brought in. I see. So I didn't sort of realise that there was a whole world of, of saxophone study mm. in classical music. And how, how unusual was it that you picked, you got a teacher that wasn't a, like a jazz background, was actually like a classical guy? Or was that like more common because they know the instrument very well? Um, no, well, it's not common really, actually. Yeah. Um, he, the guy who happened to be living in my area, because I grew up in a rural area. Right. He happened to be living there, but he was from Sydney. Okay. And once I ended up going to the conservatorium in Sydney for, to study music, and he, I discovered he had a connection with them as well. So it was sort of a bit unusual that he was there in the local area, actually. Hmm. Um, but I guess my my high school teacher perhaps realised that I had a classical um, inclination. Inclination, yeah. yeah. So perhaps he, that was maybe wise of him. Hmm. Um, hmm. But when I when I went to uni, I, myself and another colleague, we were the first two ever to do saxophone, classical saxophone, at the conservatory in Sydney. Oh wow! Uh, in the performance course. Okay. Yeah. Was that like a, a breath of fresh air for like the conductors running it there? Or, or they're like, oh, no, we have to deal with these sax people now. It was more like that. <laughs> yeah, more um, the latter, huh? It, it, in my four years at the, uh, at the uni, I only played in orchestra one time. Okay. On one occasion. Wow. And it was a student work. So the, the, the people in charge, so the idea of the conservatorium orchestra was to involve all the um, the people participating in the performance course, mm -hmm. and they didn't know what to do with saxophones. I mean, they could have they could have programmed things. Like I said, there are things, right? Plenty of them actually, right, right, um, including famous things. But they, yeah, they, it just wasn't on their mind. Mm. It was, despite the presence of me and Jim, and then every year after me, there was one or two uh, new uh, saxophone intakes from mm -hmm. then on, and it persists to this day. Mm. I want to I want to go back a little bit to how it got started with you like picking up that sax the first mm -hmm. time, and so and and you didn't get this from your parents or anything or anyone in the family or anything who was like a um, a music lover or someone who like was passionate into an instrument. No, um, I mean my my mum liked music. There was there was always music in our house, and I had an older brother have an older brother who's eight years older than me. So, but he was he was very much into the Beatles and things. So when I was a little kid, I guess that was my first 
musical experience was like the Beatles and, mm-hmm. and uh, the stuff that he listened to, um, which I still like, you know, all that stuff. Um, uh, and my mum had all sorts of things, you know, she had a few classical records, she had sort of um, oldies type stuff, you know, right. Frank Sinatra records sure. and things like that. Um, so there was always music playing, but no one played an instrument. Um, my dad wasn't particularly into music. Um, my grandmother hated music. <laughs> One of those days. Yeah, <laughs> wow. those types are pretty rare, I think. Yeah. Um, she, uh, She's not Taliban, is she? <laughs> uh, she, uh, she wouldn't allow music in the house. Oh, and okay. in fact, that was what got me into classical music was when my grandfather died. Mm. Um, she gave us all his records that we didn't know he had. Right. Because they weren't allowed to be played. So I got all these records from my grandfather and I started to explore them a little bit. And that's how I got into classical music. Oh, nice. I listened nice. to his records. Okay. Um, and I kinda, I'm kind of curious at that moment when you realized, like, a lot, a lot of people pick up the saxophone, but when did you realize that you were starting to excel at, like, a level that was beyond what most people are doing when they pick it up? When do you realize that you're kind of good at this thing? Oh, um, and what was that what was that journey like from you know the, that early start to going? Oh, I'm I'm good at this. I'm catching on. I'm I have a you know a unique ability to read this and do this well. The first thing I can think of, I remember being in our in our school band, and just prior to that, my school teacher I wasn't yet with the saxophone teacher yet, Greg, who's mm-hmm. still my school teacher. But he'd recommended to my parents that I, they bought me a new mouthpiece, the mm-hmm. instrument. And it was because I think he thought that I would benefit from that. So they did. And I remember being in band with the new mouthpiece and we're just playing a tuning note, just simple tuning note going around the orchestra. And I played my sound. And I remember the other music teacher on the other side of the room, Mr. Aubrey, standing up and he said, who made that beautiful sound? And I was kind of chuffed. (laughs) And it was sort of, for me, it was because I was listening to orchestral music. Like I said, that was my thing. And I was trying to, I was trying to apply the type of sounds that I heard coming from an orchestra, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Like the sort of quality of the sounds, if you like, a certain smoothness or richness or whatever not necessarily trying to copy the sound of a trumpet or copy the sound of a cello or whatever right but just sort of an appropriately i guess in my mind it was just like a beautiful sound Mm. and having this new mouthpiece i think i was able to apply Mm. my notion of what sound i wanted to make and i think that was the first time when i sort of realized that i was making a tone on the instrument it was much sort of, I don't know, a bit nicer or... or Good quality. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. in a certain direction. Right. Not when um, you're expecting to come up from a kid, maybe, holding yeah. a saxophone. and I would have been maybe 13 or 14 at that point. And when did that kind of transfer into, like, realizing this is going to be... When did you realize this was going to be a lifelong passion? Because you've been doing this your whole life. Um. Well, uh, I I got to the end of my high school and I actually, I I was going to do 
I was going, this is really dumb, but I was going to go and study architecture Okay. at a, at a university, but the university was sort of close to my home. So if I'd studied that, I would have stayed at home. Ah, uh, yeah. And I wanted to get out. <laughs> so I also got accepted into the conservatory in Sydney. Oh, nice. But I, I think I sort of thought, oh, well, that's not really a job, though. So right. I was a bit worried. Yeah. But then when I realized if I if I go to the conservatory and I move out and I go to Sydney, well, okay, I'll do that then. Um, I mean, I know that's not... It feels like you chose well. Though, I, right? I think so. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Oh, I, I absolutely did because part of getting out of my... It wasn't just getting away from, from um, uh, just like living at home, but it was also a sort of like a parochial attitude in my hometown. Right. I wanted to get to somewhere where I might find some like-minded people, right. which well, I certainly did find. You know. you're, you're, you're in your rural community as yeah. well as very conservative. What was that kind of growing up in that experience like there? Well, uh, I, I, I learned to hide the fact that I listened to classical music. Oh, wow. I had to hide it. Um, <laughs> I felt that I did. You know, yeah. I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have just been stronger and stuck with my convictions and everyone else be damned, you know. Right. But I didn't. I guess I was a sort of a, a timid kid. Um, and so I had to absolutely had to hide it. Mm. I mean, I remember being in the living room playing a record and we had a gate on our front, um, front of our property. Right. Well, Property, our yard yeah. that made a bit of a noise when it opened. Mm -hmm. So I'd hear the noise. I'd listen for the noise of the gate opening, someone coming in, and I'd quickly race to the record player and stop it. Oh wow! In case they heard wow. me listening to classical music. <laughs> I know that it's. I guess it's really embarrassing, but I was. I grew up in an area that was very. Um, basically, if you weren't, if you didn't surf, right, that's the only thing you could do. What is this area called? Um, well, it, it's the regions known as the Central Coast of okay. New South Wales. Okay. I think it's changed these days. Okay. But when I grew up there, it was very, um, I don't even know the word, but it was, I wouldn't say conservative necessarily, but it was very uh, ambition wasn't seen as something nice. that was positive amongst people it had, it had my a small, age. It's, it's very common to that small town feel, yeah. I guess. Then. Yeah. Okay. I wanted, I wanted to ask a little bit more about this saxophone repu rep, uh, reputation it has. And like you were saying, you only got to play like one time mm. at university. Mm -hmm. And that was a student piece. Yeah. And I, you see this, that symphonies aren't using this. Mm. And like, I want to know kind of like more, why is this when they sound so well, they blend, blend so well. Mm. I love hearing them in symphonies. Mm. And like broadly, where, what is the place of the saxophone in like the modern classical music world? Um, yeah, it's a sort of, it's a much discussed uh, question. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, one of the reasons is that um, Adolf Sachs himself, the guy who invented the saxophone, was, although he, he really was a genius, he, was a, he invented a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, he really was a, a, one of the great instrument designers and makers, but uh, he was not, he was very much, he was hated. <laughs> he wasn't liked. Right. So 
for there's an example that um he also mod he also I think he created the bass clarinet he invented the bass clarinet maybe or he perfected it or something hmm. and there was a, there's a story about I think it was Rossini wrote an opera which included a bass clarinet and on the first rehearsal the whole rest of the orchestra threatened to walk out if the bass clarinet stayed wow because it was associated with Adolf sax because they all hated him. Everyone in Paris hated him. Because he's a jerk. Because he was a jerk, I yeah. See. I mean, he, he, he borrowed money off people. He didn't pay him back. His studio was burnt down twice. Wow. Deliberately, like, you know, arson, <laughs> out of spite, anger, hatred, whatever. So he wasn't liked, so that didn't right. help. Hmm. Um, and I think the other, so that slowed down the adoption of the saxophone as an instrument. Right. And uh, I think the other thing, too, is it coincided at a time, the middle of the 19th century, when the symphony orchestra pretty much settled into its modern form mm. and people were pretty much happy with it. You know, the only instruments that joined around that time or a bit, a little bit later maybe were like the, tu the tuba and the harp. Mm -hmm. And even they're not always in everything, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, it's partly those things. The saxophone was slow to be adopted, partly because of an animus towards adult sax, and partly because, um, yeah, a lot of composers, I think, were comfortable with how the orchestra was. Mm. Okay. But you mentioned it blends so well. There are some people who think the opposite. There's people who say that, you know, it doesn't blend, and therefore composers don't know how to use it, and it's impossible to use. I agree with you, though. I think mm -hmm. it blends perfectly well. And it's been used by composers, you know, um, very successfully. Okay. Although when you when you do play saxophone in an orchestra, so I later on got to play with Sydney Symphony um, when they needed saxophone, which was maybe once a year if right. I was lucky. Um, it, it tends to be a solo. You tend to be sitting around for a long time not doing anything, and then suddenly you've got a solo, mm. like the featured. Uh, the featured tonality for a solo. Mm. So you play your solo and then you sit down and don't play anything else. One person that I'm thinking about who who likes saxophones in his music was Dan, is Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah. I remember in his mm. band, Oingo Boingo, he had yeah. a sax guy. Do you know him? Oh, I do a little bit, but I don't I think they, He went by Sluggo. I think his oh, name okay. was like Sam Phipps or something mm -hmm. like that. But but it felt like he got I got to hear him a lot. Like he really mm -hmm. liked using it, and so when I would hear that, mm -hmm. and like it, how loud and fun and full some of those Oingo Boingo songs mm -hmm. were, that really really thought a I thought this should be used more, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, but you know, and Elfman's like such an unusual rock musician that yeah. he was like having like a whole orchestra on stage almost to do his kind of music. And he writes a lot of film scores. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's transitioned out of doing that yeah. boingo boingo into being one of the great film composers. I'd say he's he's got pretty broad musical interests, doesn't he? Including yeah, yeah. probably jazz as well. Because the saxophone obviously took off in jazz. Right. And that's the other thing with the saxophone too. It, it, it actually early on took off in sort of military band music mm -hmm. um, rather than classical music or rather than orchestral classical music. So it became it was adopted into the military bands pretty quickly. Right. And and then later in what when did jazz come up the nineteen twenties? Right. Um, it was adopted pretty quickly into, into jazz as well. Mm. 
The thing about it is it's, it's actually a pretty easy instrument to play in many ways. Oh, really? Well, technically, you know, okay. like if you compare it to clarinets and oboes and things, the other woodwind instruments, like the, the fingering and stuff, yeah. is, is, is much easier. And, uh, and I think as, a, as a, someone who used to teach children years ago, saxophone, it's, you can sort of, it's a rewarding instrument as a child. Right. Because you can get results on it pretty quickly. Okay. Like by the end of the first lesson, you might be playing a tune. Oh, You nice. know what I mean? But not everybody, obviously. Is that because the keys are kind of like the right distance and yeah. easy to press and yeah. have the right pushback on them, too? Yeah, well, it's because the key system, like, is a very is a very um, easy, very well thought out system. It's very easy to understand, mm. um, and also the way you blow, and your mouth is not too hard to get. Mm. Like, even you know, it takes refinement and you get better at it. But even a beginner, as long as you set your mouth reasonably well, you can get a sound. Whereas the flute. It takes it can, the flute can be really hard to even get a noise out of the instrument, or let alone something like an oboe or a bassoon, mm. which are really really hard to, to even make a sound. And the clarinet's really unforgiving. If you if you the mouth pressure is a little bit off, you'll make a squeaking sound. The saxophone's quite forgiving in that regard. It takes a bit of breath, mm -hmm. but they all do. Right. Um, and trumpets and things are really hard to get that buzz and right. and to get a sound. The saxophone can be, compared to all those things, can be a little bit easier to make a sound. Now, you mightn't make a pretty sound. Right. <laughs> you mightn't make a sound that you want to keep forever. Right. But, but you can get a sound and you can get a, a return in a couple of lessons. Hmm. So it's kind of rewarding that way. And that's what I mean by easier. Because um, I, I would think that if for someone who's trying to pick up a new instrument, I'd worry about like, oh, maintenance or like the spit read, or mm -hmm. oh, there's so much going on with this thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to break it and all that stuff. That's lesson number one. Right, right. Taking that's, care of it. Yeah, yeah. And when you get a when I get a new student, that's the first thing we talked about. Just even how to open the case. You know, right. That's because I've seen them opened upside down. I've seen saxophones fall oh, down wow. on the ground. It happens all the time. Um, so yeah, no, there is there is a learning curve for that. Um, but I think as a kid, that's for the right sort of kid. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, you know, if you're interested in all these things, there's this piece of intricate machinery, and you know that this does this, and you got to clean it, you got to look after it. It's part of the whole, the whole experience, you know. Mm. Cool. But some some kids aren't into that, and I've opened up cases of reeds with mold growing on them and disgusting mouthpieces with gunk all through them. You know, Yeesh. it can be a bit gross. I wanted to jump back to kind of a, I don't think there's a lot of famous sax men. Like I said, I said, I know Sluggo from mm -hmm. Oingo Boingo. I was wondering if there's anyone you know that you kind of like say, oh, that's a good guy. That guy's good at sax. Classical wise? Classical wise or at all? Well, there's, yeah, I mean, in terms of jazz, there's all those great mm -hmm. jazz players from, right. from the 50s and the 60s. You know? Right. Um, Charlie Parker, John Coltrane. Um, Sonny Rollins, uh, Roland Kirk, Ben Webster, like there's loads of guys. Right, you right. Know. Uh, there's all those jazz guys. Um, well, someone actually that I became aware of when I was when I was young was um, I don't know if you remember this. You know that Sting song, Englishman in New York. 
yeah. it's old. You know, yeah, I don't yeah. know when it was, 80. Yeah, early, early mid-80s, yeah. yeah. So it's got a saxophone solo in it. It's a guy called Branford Marsalis. Okay. Um, he's actually a jazz guy. Okay. Um, but there he is playing, I suppose, a pop song. He plays with a bit of, it's kind of a jazz style song. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was someone early that I was aware of. Okay. And I sort of loved his soprano sound. He makes really beautiful soprano sound. Made, made me want to play soprano. Oh, Even okay. though I was a classical guy and I'm listening to a jazz player playing in a pop song. But his sound was so lovely that, that, I, wanted, that I did kind of follow him. So I was aware of him early. Um, there's the bloke who, who played with Pink Floyd too. I can't remember his name. Oh, Money. The one yeah, did yeah, and a few other songs as well. Yeah. So I guess I think there's a guy who played with Billy Joel fairly often as well. I don't okay. know. Um, these days, I'm not sure of the, the current crop of like um, pop or rock sax players. Uh, obviously, I don't even want, should I mention the name Kenny G? Obviously, <laughs> obviously right. he was popular for a right, while. Right. You know? And when I first came to Korea, Everyone wanted to hear Kenny G. Um, right. He uses it in a very different way than what I think of when I think of saxophone. Right, really, yeah. Um, but I wanted to go back to you. You said that somebody inspired you on the soprano, right? Mm. And, and it, made me, it reminded me that you don't play just one type of saxophone. You have a variety. How many different types of saxophone do you play? Uh, alto, which is the one I started on, which is the probably the most common to start on. Mm-hmm. Um, soprano, as I said, I really like hearing the sound of Branford Marsalis. Um, and baritone as well. Wow. In the last, well, I went and I bought my baritone about five years ago. I played baritone ages ago in a big band. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. And I got a baritone recently-ish. And yeah, I was kind of lucky to have that. It's and to what degree is it like learning a whole new instrument versus just it's a little tiny cousin of the a sidestep to the other ones? Soprano is tricky compared to alto, I would say, but baritone feels like a bit of a sidestep. Mm. It's kind of funny. Saxophones are in either the key of B flat or the key of E flat. Okay. So soprano, every second one is in B flat or every other second one is in E flat. So they go, if we start at the top of the sopraninos in E flat, soprano B flat, alto E flat, tenor B flat, baritone E flat, bass B flat. So they alternate. And there's a kind of like, if you you see this with jazz players a lot, they, I, they a lot of them play either the B flat ones mm-hmm. or the E flat ones. Okay. So you'll see that jazz guys like, say, John Coltrane played B flat tenor. He also played B-flat soprano. Those are his two main saxophones. Hmm. There are people, of course, jazz guys, who switch between a soprano and alto, but it, it, it is really common to um, stick with the same keyed instruments. And I only mention that because baritone, you'd think, might be tricky, but it's sort of not hmm. in a funny sort of way. Coming from alto to baritone, I don't really feel that much hmm. Like you, you're asking whether it's a whole new thing. Not at all. Right. There's some little, there's some little particular features of it that you have to get used to. Right. But actually, not at all. My mouthpiece, my embouchure doesn't change. It's it's a bigger mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, but soprano is the tricky one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
just for other reasons. Once the saxophone gets smaller like that, the physics, the way the air vibrates and stuff gets a bit more complicated and um, you get tuning problems and stuff like that. Hmm. Okay. Um, I want to try something. I got some pictures here Mm -hmm. of um, just uh, some pop culture kind of references to saxophone players. Uh And I just, you know, curious about what your uh, first impression is. If you just want to like say like, um, you know, a couple words, I would say six, six or six words or so maybe on each on each person, okay, or or what you think, okay. So, oh, uh, is that bleeding gums Murphy? <laughs> yeah, bleeding gums Murphy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he's cool, isn't he? Um, <laughs> he's like, he's sort of the almost the cliche jazz guy. Yeah, like, Mr. Jazz that's, Man. That's what they were going for. But I wonder how much Lisa Simpson really brought to like the saxophone world and little girls being interested in sax and wanting to be like Lisa or something yeah, like that. Probably a lot, I suppose. Yeah. It's always what, what is the line? It's always the reed, Lisa, isn't it? Always blame the reed. The so bleeding gums is super cool. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, sax man. Yeah. What do you think of when he showed up on the? I think that was from Arsenio Hall. He was on right. the late night show whipping out right. the sax, saying, oh, "Vote for me." Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I just think of Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just listened to him on uh, her on David Axelrod last night. Yeah, she did. Yeah. A, she does a very good uh, stuff on like anti-bullying now. So anti-what? Anti-bullying, cyberbullying, oh, and that kind of stuff. Right. But uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Cool Sunnies. Yeah. I've never heard him play, actually. Uh, I've only seen him on our studio hall show back in 92 or whatever. Right. You know oh, this one? Well, that's from, um, that's the David Lynch movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Lost Highway. Lost Highway. I love that movie. You know the actor? I, I do, but I can't remember his name. But that's Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman, that's yeah. right. Um, there's a few movies from, um, I watched a movie the other day called Catch Fire, directed by Dennis Hopper. It's a weird movie. Mm. But it featured um, Dennis Hopper mm. playing saxophone in it too. They're very unconvincing when you see them right. playing saxophone on film. They, <laughs> yeah, they sort of move the fingers around any old play, any old way. And I was told he learned to play did this he? for did it. He? Yeah, right. It's, it's very like dissonant sounding. Didn't sound good, but I don't know right. if that was like the point of it. You know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate though. If he played it, it's a great movie. Oh, but I, 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 I don't. I need to rewatch it. Yeah. I just remember that. What's in that Robert Blake scene with the? Oh yeah, Robert Blake is frightening. I'm in your house power. right now. Yeah, yeah that's one of the scariest things. <laughs> ah, Benny Hill. Yeah, right. You know the saxophone connection yeah. here. Yeah, that that piece of music is called Yakety Sax. Yakety Sax, right, right. Um, you know, I I had a friend at uni, uh, a sax player, a classical player, who went to England, and he told me that he did a gig at a nursing home. And in the nursing home were the two old guys from the Benny Hill show. Oh, wow. The little short guy. Oh, wow. And the big tall guy used to pat him on the head all the time. Nice. I don't know the, the no. names. And he played yakety sax for them. Oh, that's incredible. At, in the nursing home, and they were chuffed. Oh, that's amazing. Um, that's, a, that's a famous piece. I can't remember who it's by. It's, it's from the 40s or the early Oh, yeah, something like that. It's an old one. Yeah, right? yeah. You know this one? Oh, I know, but he... he, he <laughs> He looks impressive. I just um, learned about this guy. I don't even. No, I don't know what that is. So this is this is a. Uh, some people will know this. It's the guy from Lost Boys. 
the oh, 80s show. There's just just a minute scene with like a guy in concert. And for some reason, there's this well-oiled yeah. sax player. He's like a real sax player, uh, Tim something. And uh, he, he like, you know, played with Tina Turner for years. And he just got like this weird random movie thing. But it was mm. like so bizarre. His like mm. kind of outfit. He's all oiled up. So Six words. <laughs> yeah. I'm the opposite of that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, got this, we got this long-haired muscle man wearing yeah, a chain around oil. his belt. Yeah. You got to look up the Lost Boy sex man. Yeah, yeah. Most of my sex event stuff was done in like a tuxedo. I just want to show this guy this sluggo from like oh, a long okay. ago, so I kind of yeah. know him. I was wondering if you knew this guy. That's Lenny Pickett. You do know Lenny Pickett. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's Lenny Pickett. He's a bit of a legend. Yeah. Um, he was the sax player with a band called Tower of Power, um, who, who were really famous for having like an amazing horn section. Um, later on, he went on to be the Saturday Night Live. He still is. Yeah, he's, he still is. He's, he's like been there since like 81 or something. Yeah, he's right. probably like the most appeared on person because he's a musical director. He's not just yeah, a yeah. sax guy, which I thought is interesting about him because he's a sax player, yeah. but he's also the musical director. And I wonder how often do you see that kind of fusion? Probably not very often. Right. But I think it's because of that Tower of Power connection. Right. Because Tower of Power was so famous and having like the Tower of Power horns were used by a lot of other bands right. as the horn section. Right. Um, because that, and he was so good, is so good. Sorry. Yeah. Um, he's got amazing technique. He can play really. He's famous for playing really high notes. And right. Stuff. Right. And that's what he does on Saturday Night Live yeah. and, and the intro song. Yeah, yeah, I love him for that. But yeah, he did a great album called Lenny Pickett and the Borneo Horns. Okay. Nobody's heard. I'll, I'll um, pick it up. Oh, if you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing album. He plays. It's all. It's all basically all saxophone. He plays all the parts and overdubs them. They're weird little compositions. They're not even really jazz. I don't know what you'd call them, what mm. genre they are. But mm. no, he's, he, yeah, Lenny Pickett's great. And there was one more pop culture reference I wanted to mm-hmm. get on you here on reaction team. All right. Baker Street. What is what are your yeah. thoughts on Baker Street? Um, I had to play it when I was a kid a lot. Okay. Um, I look, you know, I don't have any um, I actually wish I could play all those things. Yeah. Well. Yeah, like yeah. The appropriate sort of flair. Like Baker Street, Yakety Sax, and all that stuff. Well, I've never Yakety Sax. <laughs> Yakety Sax is kind of hard to play. Yeah. Um, but Baker Street, like I'm such a classical player and my 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 technique and everything is so sort of um, so kind of everything's neat and tidy, you know. Right. Uh, so that's You're a bit of a perfectionist, of, aren't you? Well sort of, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I guess so. And, and uh there's a certain there's a certain looseness required mm. to play things like Baker Street to that those sort of that sort of that sort of looseness and my my mount my embouchure is so sort of rigid in in my classical playing that I, I wish I could do all those sorts yeah, of yeah. things I'd love to be able to play like this. Why, did, why, did, like that, why did that become the riff though that like everyone knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, like you're saying, like you mentioned that Boingo Boingo, you saw had they had that sax player, but other bands you didn't see it. Right. And I guess Baker Street just came along and it was um something a bit different. Yeah. Because even though that I mentioned that Sting song, but that was later, wasn't it? Right. And I don't think people even really like the saxophone aspect of that wasn't really there were in other words, there were songs with saxophone in them. Right. That I don't know if people really noticed, but Baker Street's a big saxophone feature. 
So when I was younger, that was the thing that people were asking to hear. Yeah. Well, students wanted wanted to learn. Right. We got that a lot. I, I sometimes heard someone someone with a sax playing it in uh, Chicago. Sometimes mm. that guy, the well oiled guy from Lost Boys, name is mm. Tim Capello. I wrote okay. that down. And uh, Money Pink Floyd Richard Perry. Richard Perry. That's Richard right. Perry. That's that guy. That's right. Uh, the next thing I was worried about is like kind of like the sax quality uh, in this country. Mm. I was thinking about when I was lived in London, I went to the 100 Club and heard some great sax music. When I went to Phuket, Thailand, I went to this amazing saxophone pub. Mm. And then like Seoul, I went to a saxophone bar mm. and the guy was not good. Okay. And But people were happy. I, I still enjoyed it. That's what, which I thought was interesting. Like I enjoyed watching a guy kind of middle through on the sax because mm. he was having a good time, and you don't see it that often. Still, mm. I feel so. I was just wondering, was that like just a rare experience, or do you think like the quality of sax players in Korea is a little bit lower, or or what's going on there? That's, I know it's just a one-off antidote, but it yeah. made me wonder what's what's sax life in Korea like, or what's the sax quality of the musicians we hear who play it or is it mostly hobbyists and not many people get too into it um i think yeah that's a that's a real tough one because i've sort of got two different answers to it i think you're right it's mainly hobbyists yeah i think at some point partly because of kenny g mm. but also perhaps korean trot music right right it's basically coinciding when i arrived in korea it became very popular for middle-aged men mm. and women sometimes, but mostly men was my experience, to take up saxophone. Mm. And they wanted to play Kenny G. They ah. wanted to play that sort of music. But I know a little bit earlier I said saxophone's kind of easy. I mean, easy in a way. Right. But, of course, no musical instrument's easy. Right. And so for a lot of hobbyists, they sort of discover, a lot of people discover that actually this is pretty hard and I've got to practice. And right, right. It's even hard. One thing in Korea, it's hard to find a place to practice. Yeah. Because you can't practice in your apartment often. Yeah. Saxophone tends to travel. Even yeah. if you're playing it softly, the, the noise tends to travel. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of tough. I, you see a lot of people, or I used to see a lot of people practicing in parks and under bridges and things like that. Well, it makes sense. We're yeah. such a dense country, and, yeah. we, and most of us live in these dense cities that you would annoy your neighbors yeah. if you tried to practice in your room. Yeah. So I can't I can't practice at home. Or you find a practice room somewhere, you rent a place or whatever. Um, so And those can be very expensive. They can be, yeah. It's like renting yeah. another apartment, it sounds like, sometimes the price yeah. that you're paying. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I don't know. But then again, in the classical world, I find that a lot of the, the, the young guys here who are learning have very good technique. They're, they've been taught to just really practice and practice and practice, practice scales, practice high notes and all that sort of stuff. So they tend to be very, very technically very good, hmm. I notice. Okay. But that's the classical guys. The guys you're, that you heard in the, in the bar or the right. karaoke room yeah, it's a lot of hobbyists, I think, and, and some people are good, um, but but it was so popular and there are so many people taking it up that for a lot of them, it was a bit harder than they thought. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to talk about what your experience was 
playing saxophone before and after Korea, the kind of gig life you had before, gig life after, mm. you know, traveling the world versus what you do in Korea mm. and how, how you kind of like seen the before and after moving to Korea with your sax life. Um, well, there's a sort of, there's one element that colors that a little bit, I think, and that is that I stopped playing for 10 years. Oh, okay. So that's I, a big, that's a big, is, is a big thing. Out, yeah. So, and I started up again once I was in Korea. I see. And, and actually with that 10 years experience and sort of going without music at the other end of it, my attitude was completely different. Um, so now, the, once I restarted in Korea, my attitude was completely um, like just, uh, you know, just just put yourself out there. Don't don't be so hard on yourself. Just um, just make do with what you can. Just much more positive, mm. much more positive attitude, and that coincides with Korea. Right. So that might sort of color my attitude, mm. but. I, f I find that as a classical saxophone it's better player it's better being in Korea mm. than in Australia right because it's far more marginal in, nice. in Australia in Sydney but in Korea there, there's many more opportunities people don't sort of care as much um, there are a lot of classical saxophone players here mm. and I've met a lot of them right um, and so when we we I very quickly formed a saxophone quartet um, I've done I've done more. I've done more like concerto gigs here in Korea than I have than I did ever before. Right. Um, because those opportunities, well, at least, at least for me back then, I didn't have those opportunities right. in Australia. Um, in terms of in terms of breaking into the sort of the orchestras and stuff, I don't like my chances. Um, it's pretty much sewn up right. who the people are who get the gigs here. Right. And I'm just a weird foreigner, so right. it's going to be hard for me to get into any of the the, the those sort of gigs. Right, right. But, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, what was the question? Well, can we go back a little bit to <laughs> that 10-year break? What yeah. happened that can – you, can you talk just a little bit about what was the catalyst of I'm, I'm done with this or I'm throwing this out for a while or I've had enough? Um, yeah, I don't I, – I, um, sort of personal life stuff. I assume so. Yeah, yeah. Health issues of a sort, yeah, and stuff like that. And I, 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 I got into a bit of a bad way, sure. And uh, and I sort of, I got rid of everything that I owned, including saxophones and music and everything. And um, I guess I tried to tell myself, "Oh, that's okay. You'll be fine. Just move on. Right. <laughs> You'll manage." Um, and then I went back to Australia, and. I met up with all my old friends right. who were just sort of looking at me like, I mean, they knew much right. better than I knew. Right. Like, what's he doing? Right. What's he doing not doing music? Right. Why doesn't... I think they were waiting for me to snap out of it. And I sort of did. I, 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 I just... One day, I remember just saying to my wife, just saying, oh, look, I can't do this anymore. Right. I was, I'd met some friends and they were talking about their orchestral gigs and stuff like this and I'm just sort of sitting there and sort of nodding right. and I'm thinking, I don't want to be doing this again. <laughs> right. it's, 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 it's too late, too long already, you know. So what was that like that first time re-picking up that saxophone? Uh, I was, it was, it was nice. And I was very lucky because, you know, I, I did, I was quite poor before. Right. And now, so, but now, you know, I had a job. And right. I was a, you know, 
I could afford things. Right. So I, I, I actually made a decision that I was going to buy a saxophone that was better than what I had before. Right. And I've sort of kept that up. Right. right, right. <laughs> um, and, and so I did. And I went to the place and I, I tried all the different saxophones there and I found one that really just really suited me, mm-hmm. really meshed with me, you know. Mm-hmm. And everyone there was just like, oh, yeah, that just sounds good. And so I was really happy. But my attitude was different. When I came back, to, I then came, brought it back to Korea with me, and um, and I just wanted to play. I didn't right. care what it was. I joined, as maybe you know, I joined a, a community band. Right. That was quite um, quite an amateur group. Right. But I didn't. I didn't care. You know. Right. I, I thought. I thought. Oh well, I'm going to struggle to get back into this. Right. And I did struggle to get back into it. But of course, I. I had still did have all my training, right? And you know, what thirty years worth of experience, right? At that point, or a bit less, maybe. Um, so when I joined that group, they were all like, "Oh, wow, he's so good," sort of thing, right? Which sort of, I mean, I didn't care about that, but I, they were a very welcoming group, right? And I just appreciated that. I was playing every week. I just saw it as an opportunity for me to be playing. I hadn't been playing for 10 years. Right. Now I'm playing again. Good. Um, and then I set myself the goal of putting on a recital, right. which I think you mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. Was that the first one? That, you that was my first recital. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't aware like of that. 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I set that goal for myself, and I, and I chose a program of stuff I wanted to do. And the French title was because I got sort of sponsorship from the Alliance Francais. Oh, yeah, I remember that group. Yeah, it used to be around the corner yeah, from, yeah. from um, and so I agreed to do a French program for them. I see. Um, yeah, and I, I worked hard on that. I practiced a lot and got back into things. So yeah, that felt good. Huh. That felt good. And then I and then I met, when I met um, a bunch of the classical players from, from Dejon, and they were positive about my playing and stuff, and wanted to play with me, that's when I sort of realised, oh, well, I'm getting back into this. You know what I mean? Like, properly. Right. I mean, the story about taking that 10-year break and then coming back to it with the attitude you did, it seems like the greatest possible attitude you can have to put yourself into that thing that makes you happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it seems like you're lucky in the way of getting to look at it with fresh eyes in some ways. I was, yeah. yeah. And I had a bad attitude before. Yeah. That's the thing, too, when I was younger. I was right. very hard on myself. Right. And very, very perfectionist and very, um, I look, I, I, I caused my teacher at uni lots of headaches. <laughs> okay. He, he, he knew the talent I had, but I didn't. Right. And I, I just lacked confidence. Right. Um, so looking back at it now mm-hmm. and how I approach my playing now, I just look back and think, you young idiot, you know, you're so, you, you made it so hard for yourself right. back then, you know. So it was nice to come back just with a new attitude. And that new attitude was born of having gone without for 10 years. Yeah. And a sort of like a, I just came in with like a beggars can't be choosers attitude. Right. Just, just do it. Just shut up and do it. Don't, right. don't put pre- un, undue pressure on yourself. Just do it. Mm. The way to put on that recital is to practice. Yeah. Don't say, I can't do it, I can't do it, oh, that's not good enough, that's all that stuff, like I would have normally right. years ago. 
But no, just practice it. Practice it until you can do it. <laughs> it's simple, really. Right. Um, but uh, I needed to give myself the space. Um, give my, I need to cut myself some slack, you know, right. to, to have that approach. And that's a, that's a great goal to give to yourself. It's kind of like a gift to yourself, though, a little bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, it felt good. Yeah. Do you have any future plans or what it was? What do you think is coming up next for you on this? Um, I would like to do another recital, yeah. but but these days, it's funny now, I've reverted to the. Um, not, you haven't gone back to the perfectionist of old. No, <laughs> no, not that sort of. The, the complacency of the professional musician who doesn't practice enough anymore. Right. You know what I mean? I've settled into a sort of thing I'll do a gig, I'll do a gig, and I don't need to practice. But if I do a recital again, right. I've got to practice it. Because right. There's a sort of attitude like if you do recitals, you have to play music that's a bit tough. Right. If, you, if, if someone like me put on a recital and I just played really, really easy stuff, mm -hmm. It sort of doesn't look good. Right. So I've got to pick things that are actually a bit of a challenge and that look good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Do you so, think you might use that quartet you used before? Well, I we, really enjoyed that one. I oh, thought that was an interesting group. Yeah, well, we still we still are a group, but it's just much harder in COVID right. to come together. And um, one of those guys has moved out of town and, you know, one of the other guys is sort of very busy with other things and recently um, he's got lots of gigs and stuff. So, And during, you know, COVID, a lot of gigs have dried up. So um, right. we're still together as a group and we'll do something again. Mm -hmm. We'll do something again. Okay. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thank I you. really appreciate hearing your story. And uh, that's what we want to do every week on the Perplex Pad. Talk to one person and kind of talk about their what their passion and how they find a little bit of balance here in Korea with that passion. And thank you for listening. And uh, I'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thanks again to our first guest, Raphael Marcinet the sax man. And next week, we'll probably have a guy named Hank? Sure, why not? Let's find a Hank or someone else. It doesn't really matter. But I'll see you when you're here next week on The Perplexed Path.